0: Good morning. Good morning. So good to be here today and to see each one of you. Welcome to everyone attending online this morning. Uh, we're going to continue this morning in our series in Hebrews. And uh, what, a, what a rich summer we've had going through the book of Hebrews. Have you, have you been blessed and enjoyed that this summer? It's been awesome. Um, you know, today I have the unenviable task of following Dr. Jeremy Sims, who, um, who last week cut in line in front of us and went over and took some of the gold out of Hebrews chapter 12 and then left it for us to pick up the pieces. So I'm going to try to get the train uh, back on track this morning and, and we'll, be, we'll be going back to Hebrews chapter 10 in just a moment. The letter of Hebrews is all about Jesus Christ and his superiority to every man-made system, to every spiritual platitude to every human attribute that's ever been conceived. We've learned already that Jesus is better. That's the theme of this book. Jesus is better, he has a better plan. He's a better high priest. He is better than Moses. He is better than the angels. He is a better provider. He offers a better obedience. He assigns to us a better identity. He provides a better rest. He leads us into a better maturity. He furnishes us a better hope. He leaves us with a better inheritance. He is the initiator of a better covenant and he is the provider of a better sacrifice. And that's only halfway through chapter 10. We've still got more to go. So I'm excited this morning. I love the way that the author of Hebrews adds layer upon layer of evidence for the supremacy and the singularity of Jesus as our savior and our source of life and purpose. I love the way the writer constructs the logic behind these powerful arguments. And where we pick up today in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19 illustrates that tactic. So this scripture begins with a word that is very important, let's read it. It says, therefore, therefore brethren, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way which he has opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. This, this little passage of scripture right here is a, it's a review and it's a setup. It begins with the word therefore. The author sprinkles this word in strategically throughout the letter, and we should take notice when we see it because therefore is a bridge that takes us from theology to application. But as he crosses that bridge, for good measure, he pivots back to two of the main foundations that have been established. So let's review those two foundations this morning. The first one is that through Jesus' perfect sacrifice, a new path has been opened for all of us to access the presence of God. The scripture uses the word sanctuary in the version that I shared, but the sanctuary that we're told to enter is not a physical church building, but it is the dwelling place of God. Under the old covenant, God dwelled in tents and temples and people faced a complex and continuous system of animal sacrifices just to manage their sin, much less to access God. It was an imperfect and a temporary system that restricted access to God, but it never solved the root problem of our sinfulness. But in Jesus' sacrifice, the new covenant was initiated by which his one sacrifice is sufficient to cover all of our sins. And with the death of Jesus on the cross, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all give us the detail. They make the point that the curtain in the temple, behind which God's presence was concealed, that it was ripped from top to bottom, signifying the access of every believer through Jesus to the Father. That's a good review point, isn't it? All right, here's the other review point. Through Jesus' perfect priesthood, we can approach God without fear or shame. Now remember that this letter was written originally to Hebrews to Jewish believers who were facing opposition. Their upbringing and their mindset were still rooted in the Jewish understanding. But unlike all the high priests that came before him, Jesus was no underling called to serve the house of God. Rather, he is the son who rules over the house. He has the keys to every room. He invites us to come in and be at home. To those coming into Christianity from Judaism, it was still a pretty radical thought that we can come into the holy of holies. Now one of the defining themes of Hebrews is that Christians are in a different posture and a better position after the new covenant than Israel was before the new covenant. So to appreciate the after, we have to think about the before, before and after. Now I've seen a lot of people, including some of you, who have taken a journey, maybe a journey to better health, and you've documented that journey with before and after pictures on social media. And you know the kind of pictures I mean. You're visualizing them right now. The before picture, it is no fun because the hard work hasn't started yet and the results are not guaranteed. You stand in front of a mirror with your phone and pointed at the mirror. And you have to frown in these pictures and and, and slouch and not put on any makeup and not fix your hair because you wanna tell the before picture, the rawest story of why change is needed in your life. But then, after a few weeks or months of dedication, of going to the gym, of eating better, or whatever changes you've made, you go back proudly and you stand in front of that same mirror and you stand up straight and you fix your hair and you give your biggest smile and you take an after picture because you want to say with that picture, look at the difference, look at the difference. Well, if you wanna know the power of the sacrifice that Jesus made shedding his blood on the cross to fulfill the old covenant and initiating a new covenant for us, This section of Hebrews 10 is a powerful example of before and after transformation. The before picture is one in which Israel's access to God was extremely limited. Their high priestly representative could enter into the holiest only once a year. And his efforts achieved only ceremonial results. No lasting change was produced in the heart or the hands of the people who did the sinning. But what we see in Hebrews 10 is the after picture. Believers under the new covenant, that's us. Because of the blood shed by Jesus, God's son, we have access to enter into the very presence of God with confidence, the scripture says. I studied the original Greek word for confidence there and found meaning so rich that one English word can't do it justice. This word talks about how we can approach God and it incorporates the ideas of freedom and frankness and openness, courage, fearlessness, boldness, and assurance. And not because we're equals with God or because our sin is no longer a big deal, but because the Holy Spirit that dwells within us produces conviction, drawing us toward rather than scaring us away From a loving father so the writer of Hebrews has built his case and now all that is left for him is to answer the question so so what 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 should we do and what should we not do with these truths the next few verses lay out some of the clearest application for us in the whole letter and this morning these four applications are the points of my message so let's, let's hear the first one. Let us draw near to God. Draw near to God. What an invitation we have in verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You know, as I read that verse, I can't help but think of the parable that Jesus told of the prodigal son. This young man's life was a mess. He left home and he broke his dad's heart. He made well-documented bad choices and squandered the blessings that had been intended for him. And he ended up in a hopeless situation. But in a moment of spiritual self-awareness, he said to himself, the way I'm living is not right maybe, maybe my father would forgive me. I don't have anything to lose by trying. I believe that moment of clarity is what we know as conviction. We can recognize conviction by the fact that it draws us toward the father. It encourages us to go home. And the prodigal son did go home. And to his surprise, the locks had not been changed. There was no restraining order against him. Instead, his dad sat on the porch longing for him. And when he saw him in the distance, he got up and he ran toward him and he hugged him. And he cleaned him up and he fed him and then he, he threw a party celebrating his return. And one of the beautiful points that Jesus makes in this story is that the obstacles that we believe keep us away from God our Father are not put there by Him. He invites us such as we are. He draws us and He wants to be near us so that He can be with us, to feed us spiritually, to change us because He loves us too much to let us continue in destructive behaviors and to celebrate our relationship with Him. Let me ask you today, is it a daunting thing for you to approach God's presence? Do you understand the access that you've been given? Those of you who know me pretty well know that I'm a big Alabama fan. Don't tune me out, the rest of the crowd. I I know you have a tendency to tune out Alabama fans. I, I, I've, uh, I attended Alabama, I've, I've missed very few games in the 31 years since I marched in the Million Dollar Band. And a few years back, one of my good football buddies started taking me with him during the off season for an annual tour of the Alabama locker room inside Bryant-Denny Stadium, and it was pretty amazing. But not just anyone could take this tour I had to have a special pass obtained through my friendship with a valued donor to the athletic department. And once in the locker room, I could see most everything, but there were areas that were roped off that I could not approach. In the middle of the locker room, in the carpet, they had this beautiful uh, script A, which you could not walk on, and I would not have dared to walk on, by the way. (laughs) They didn't even have to tell me. But it was clear to me as I walked through that locker room, as I was getting to see this incredible space, it was clear to me that it was not built for me. Um, It was built for people who had earned access through their physical skills, through their coaching prowess, or through their generous investment. I was just there getting a look. And um, guess what? In about seven weeks, when I go back down to Tuscaloosa on a Saturday, um, if I try to go anywhere near the Alabama locker room, I can say with confidence that Coach Saban has not left the door unlocked for me. In fact, I would not be able to get near that locker room uh, on a football game day. I'm just happy to be in the stadium at all. So, you know, as I thought about that, if you're like me, there are probably a lot of areas in your life where you've learned Um, that access is restricted. Maybe, Maybe ladies, maybe it's a glass ceiling that kept you from advancing in your career. Maybe it's a cliquish group that you feel like excludes you from relationship. Maybe it's being judged unworthy because of your past mistakes or maybe it's just that you feel like you don't fit. Well, to all of us, the writer of Hebrews shares incredible news. You have access to the presence of God. Let that sink in. I think sometimes we've received so many do not enter cues in our lives that it's hard for us to register the access that Jesus died to give us. We feel like there must be a catch. It must be a trick. Will there be a timeshare presentation? No, none of those things. He just wants us to be with him so much so, so that we are not just told to enter, but we are told how to enter. We can enter confidently because we have a better assurance. Verse 23 gives us a second application, which I'll frame it as this. Persistently speak hope To others. The verse reads, let us hold fast the confession of our faith, of our hope, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Folks if you realize what Jesus did for you and you have taken advantage of the access that you now have to God, then you have traded despair for hope, it's a good deal. It is always a joy for me to talk with a new Christian. And to hear the joy and the hope that exudes from people, especially people who are new to their faith, they're some of the most likely uh, to talk about, to to verbalize what God has done for them. And the word used in this verse for confession, it involves verbalizing, speaking so that others can hear. It means not keeping silent. The apostle Peter said in 1 Peter 3.15, always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Is your confession of hope on the tip of your tongue today? Is it ready to be spoken? Well, the the writer of Hebrews adds without wavering here because you know it's our tendency to speak well of God when he is blessing us and to be silent about him when things are difficult. That's our tendency. But here here the writer gives us reason to speak hope persistently in good times or bad, in rich times or poor, in sick times or healthy. He says because God is faithful. That's our reason, because God is faithful. And we are the truest reflection of his faithfulness when we confess our hope regardless of our present circumstances. You might call this practicing the habit of hope. There are moments in my life when things are great and I'm filled with hope. And there are moments of challenge when I cling to hope. But I never let go of hope. I determined to hold on to it, to carry it into every place I go, and to confess it to everyone who needs it. Hope is the currency of the Christian faith. And the more of it we share, the more that we have to give. You get a church full of people with that posture toward hope and you've got a movement of hope. Verse 24, it gives us a third application. Stir up love and good works in one another. That's a good paraphrase of verse 24. Stir up love and good works in one another. The word for stir up in verse 24 means to sharpen or provoke or incite, but the intensity of this verb is, not, is pointed not towards starting a riot or triggering a rebellion or inciting retaliation or fomenting outrage. You see, we're at a time in American culture, I don't really have to tell you this, you can, you can scroll your phone and see it very easily or turn on the news and hear it, but we're at a time when Americans and the world, we're stirred up. We are stirred up. We're stirred up by politics, we're stirred up by issues, we're stirred up by polarizing rhetoric, we're stirred up by controversies and debates and drama. Social media stirs the pot and empowers people to speak boldly to an unseen audience where they can have epic arguments with total strangers. This is insanity. People have an incredible capacity to stir up one another. And it's usually expressed in the negative ways that I've just mentioned. But this passage is speaking to believers and showing us a better way that God intended. So let's be passionate, not about what's trending on social media, but about the assignment and the opportunities that God has given us. And let's use our voice and our influence, stirring up other believers to join us. Amen? All right. Verse 25 gives us a final application, and I'm going to summarize it this way. Avoid distractions in completing the mission of Christ. Avoid distractions in completing the mission of Christ. Verse 25 reads this way. It says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's really tempting right here to define meet together only as in-person church attendance. Now Pastor Jeremy said last week that as American society has grown busier, the number of church gatherings has decreased. And we know that the impact of COVID has reduced in person attendance at those gatherings. So let me say this, I I am not only an advocate, I am perhaps the poster child for in person church attendance. I am a preacher's kid. All of my life I've been in church and I'm thankful for that legacy and that habit that was formed at an early age and I wouldn't change a thing. But the form of meeting together has changed dramatically over the last 2000 years. And as our culture has shifted, even before COVID forced almost every church in America to begin streaming its services. At Kingwood and many other churches, online ministry has risen to meet the needs of many people who can't physically attend. And at the same time, it's become an outreach tool to extend our church's reach into our community. And many churches like ours have embraced this new wineskin rather than resisting it. The admonition in this scripture to not neglect has less to do with a building and more to do with the people who make up the church. We need each other. We can't stir each other up to love and good works when we're isolated from each other. Now meeting together has a lot of options that look different than ever before. In light of that fact, it's not Always clear what attending even means. So I I would challenge you with the thought that the main thing Jesus called his followers to do was not mere, mere attendance. This passage never said not neglecting to attend church. Jesus never said, attend me. He said, follow me. What Jesus was looking for was engagement. Early Christians didn't just attend church. They were the church. We use the word engaged specifically in our culture to to refer to a couple who has pledged to become husband and wife. You you can't be engaged to yourself. That's, That's weird. Think think about the kind of engagement between a couple. Engaged people are committed, they're focused, they're energetic, they are working toward a goal, they are not sitting passively on the sideline, they are not waiting for something to happen. And Christians who are engaged are looking for ways to serve. You know, I was overwhelmed this week as I saw a volunteer army of moms and dads and college age and and youth who showed up for four plus hours a night to make Kingwood's VBS uh, happen. It was fantastic. And that doesn't happen without engagement. Christians who are engaged are looking to build friendships with other people as part of a life group or serving on a ministry team. They're looking to help the new person in the room get connected. They're looking to grow their faith. They're looking to deepen their prayer life. They're looking to uh, enrich their understanding of the Bible. They're looking to reach their lost friends and family and coworkers and neighbors with a loving invitation to church and to their faith. But we cannot stir others or be stirred to love and good works if we isolate from the body of Christ to have all the gifts of the body operating, we must be jointly engaged in mission together. And for believers engaged in the mission of Christ, I have found that church attendance is rarely a problem. Now, you may not be able to be engaged in all of these ways. And God understands your circumstances. But there are some who have the ability to be engaged with God's mission in the local church and have chosen not to be. Maybe you've stepped back from the church to pursue lifestyle goals. Maybe you no longer feel you need the local church to live the Christian life. Maybe you're facing trials, which was certainly true of the letter's original audience. Or maybe there's a hidden sin or desire in you that makes you want to isolate if any of those describe you, God's word speaks to you today that it's time to make a new habit. And why is that important? Why is this application so important? Because as the writer of Hebrews says, the day is drawing near. The day of Christ's return is nearer today than ever before. And so the pull to step back from the body of Christ and to disengage from the mission of Christ is perhaps the most powerful weapon in Satan's arsenal against us. If he can isolate us, we become weaker and more susceptible to his deception and to his attacks against us. So the word to us in this last application is to avoid the distraction of anything that takes us off the mission of Jesus Christ. Keeping our focus in a chaotic world with discordant voices clamoring for our attention and even our endorsement is a goal that will only be accomplished if we remain connected to Jesus' church and engaged in Jesus's mission. Now in just a moment, our prayer team's gonna fill the altar and we're gonna have a time of prayer and ministry. So I just wanna say to those watching online, first of all, thank you. Thank you that you, you are a part of the Kingwood Church family and um, I, I'm thankful we have online ministry as an expression of ministry of this church. And I wanna say to you today, you, you are equally valuable and there is ministry available to you today and we have an online prayer team that waits in the comments section. So whatever burden is on your heart today, please speak in that comment section and let our prayer team uh, minister to you. To, to the rest of us here in the house today, I say we're, we're going to move into a time of uh, worship here in just a moment. And I actually want you, as, as, we, as we sing this final song, I want you to apply the first point of, of this word today, which is to draw near. Draw near to God. The barriers of access have been removed. Draw near to God and believe that He wants to do a work in your life today. Can we stand together? Let's move into the presence of God now as we prepare for a time of ministry.